This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Uh, good morning. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Tim Catlett, and I have the privilege to serve as one of the pastors uh, for our church family. And while I miss being in worship together in person, I am so grateful uh, that we can continue to worship online this way and stay connected as we seek uh, to grow as God's disciples alongside of each other. Uh, As we prepare to hear God's word this morning, I invite us to pray. Let's pray. Almighty God, may your Holy Spirit fill us today. Prepare us to hear your word. uh, Connect us uh, with one another and with you. And uh, in this moment, as we prepare to hear your word read and proclaimed, I do humbly ask uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, and that they might be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be reading and talking about a crisis, and especially how uh, Jesus' disciples uh, processed uh, their emotions, which were widespread, uh, in response uh, to Jesus' crucifixion and in anticipation of the hope that might come in his resurrection and how they held those uh, emotions in tension and how Jesus walked with them uh, to lead them uh, to something new, uh, to some new, a new understanding. Uh, we'll be reading from Luke's Gospel, Luke uh, chapter 24, a story called The Walk to Emmaus. And it's a familiar story for, for many of you, uh, but it's a chance for us to journey again with his disciples uh, down that road. And so I'm going to invite us to turn uh, in Luke's Gospel to chapter 24. We'll be reading beginning with verse 13. And I invite you to read with me uh, either uh, in a physical Bible, uh, you can read on an online app, uh, online on your computers at BibleGateway.com, or the words will be on the screen uh, as well. Now hear this word from Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke 24, uh, beginning with verse 13. The walk to Emmaus. Now on that same day, uh, two of them uh, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, uh, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, uh, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, It is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be uh, to God. Uh, So Jesus was crucified uh, on a Friday. 
Uh, we find these two men, these two disciples, walking along this road uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a seven-mile walk on Sunday. And as they walk, uh, they are processing with one another uh, the events of the past week. And if we trace all the way back with them, you, you go back to uh, really about a week ago uh, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem uh, on the back of a colt, a donkey, uh, and cloaks were laid across the street. People, crowds lined the streets, uh, waved palm branches and shouted, you know, Hosanna, uh, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And at that moment, uh, there was hope. There was hope for a new king, hope for a redeemed Israel a new way of being. And you fast forward several days and we get to Friday. And by Friday, our religious leaders uh, in the community, uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, scribes, uh, turned Jesus over and condemned him to be crucified. All the hope in the beginning of the week uh, for a new king, a redeemed Israel, uh, vanished uh, just like that. And so these disciples on Sunday are processing these things. What does this mean for us? What does it mean uh, for our journey, for our people, for our families? And yet they also have something else. Uh, that morning, a group of women, uh, led as we know by Mary Magdalene, uh, came to a tomb and found it empty. Uh, Jesus wasn't there. And they saw a vision from angels that said, uh, he is alive, you know, he is risen. And we celebrate that with them on Easter. And it's just that afternoon as they're walking down this road, they'd heard these rumors and they're living in tension between uh, these emotions. Uh, emotions of grief uh, for what they've lost, for who they've lost, a despair, uh, not knowing what the future will hold, and hope that just maybe uh, this person they had believed in, this person they had followed, uh, was resurrected. There was something new, something powerful uh, in the air, and yet not knowing what to do uh, in between these two spaces. And so the stranger comes along, Jesus, to help them process uh, what to do in this, in this response. As I read this passage this week, I couldn't help uh, but see my own emotions uh, that have been swinging these last several weeks uh, in the disciples. I saw myself uh, walking from a place of, of grief and, and loss and, uh, and wondering what this means for our community, uh, for our church, for our world, uh, for our family. And also holding on to a hope uh, that uh, things will be new again, that there will be an, a time uh, when this virus is gone and we're able to experience new life uh, together again. And, and living in that in-between, in that tension between these emotions. And what I've wondered is what we can learn from how the disciples responded and specifically how Jesus helped them respond as we process these emotions ourselves in our own uh, personal crises uh, today. And so I invite us to pay attention to that. We're going to start with verse 25. <clears throat> verse 25, Jesus responds to them. So he's been walking with them. They don't recognize him yet. He, he hears them tell all of these uh, stories and what they're processing. And this is what he says to them. Verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Um, now, Jesus was pretty harsh <laughs> to his disciples, uh, but we have to remember uh, that these are two uh, men that would have followed Jesus. They would have known Jesus. They would have heard him teach and, and seen his miracles. Uh, in fact, we know that they were close to Jesus because when they talk about the women at the tomb, uh, they describe them as part of their group. I mean, this is, they were part of the inner circle. Uh, they were so close to the inner circle that by the end of this passage, uh, when their eyes are open and they 
uh, realize it's Jesus, they run and go tell the 11. They have access uh, to the apostles. And so they go directly to them. And so clearly they were close enough to Jesus and his followers that they should have known uh, what was going on. They should have had some insight into what was happening in that week. And yet uh, they didn't. Uh, they, they didn't see it. Uh, they didn't know it. Uh, the first thing I, I think that we can all take from this uh, is, uh, number one, uh, in these times, it's okay uh, to not have all the answers. Jesus' own disciples, those close to him who should have had answers, did not have answers. Eventually, he'll offer them grace for this. But I think we struggle, I struggle right now when I don't have all the answers. Uh, when I don't uh, always know the perfect decision to make. Uh, when I'm trying to process uh, between two goods or two uh, possibly bads and trying to figure out uh, what's the best thing to love my family and my neighbors and my community, or to care for ourselves and our world. Uh, this past week, uh, Aaron and I uh, were going for a walk in our neighborhood, which we do uh, just about every day. As we were walking, uh, we uh, saw one of our neighbors across the street, and we stopped and talked to each other uh, from you know, a distance apart uh, from one another. Uh, and he was sharing about the decisions he's making for work and how each day he is making decisions about uh, whether to keep uh, different plants open uh, or to close them, uh, to keep people employed or not employed, uh, to keep people safe, when to shut them down to do uh, cleanings and, and make sure everyone's safe. And as he's, as he's wrestling with these decisions, uh, he's, he's sharing how uh, it's been a moral challenge uh, to balance all these things and try to always, in the midst of that, care for people and love them uh, well. And, and as I heard him share the story, it just resonated with me. Uh, many of the conversations that I have uh, every day or every couple days uh, throughout this time with people is around this same sort of idea. You know, what do we do? What's the best decision? What's the right thing for, uh, for me, for my family, for uh, my employees, for my coworkers? You know, how do I balance uh, these different demands in my life? Um, how do I care for my kids well? How much time uh, do I spend uh, with my kids on homework online at home? Or, or how do I uh, choose whether I go out uh, to get groceries and food or whether I stay home and have folks deliver them uh, to me? Uh, how do I choose about how I uh, serve in healthcare? I mean, how much risk am I willing to take myself uh, to care for those who are sick and vulnerable? And, and you go through this balancing act of trying to figure out what's the perfect decision. How do we spend our time perfectly in this time apart? And what I'm finding is that uh, we don't have the perfect answers. And that's okay. Jesus' disciples always and often got it wrong. The apostles, the 11 that were closest to him, uh, were often being uh, critiqued and being corrected uh, for not knowing fully what they should do. And yet, these are the people that Jesus trusted with his church. A church that for a multiple millennia has grown around the world uh, where people still worship and follow and connect to God through Christ. And, and it's imperfect people that God is using uh, to share God's love and God's grace with this world. And so it's okay that we're not always right. It's okay that we're not perfect. I always encourage you to, to take time to offer yourself some grace in this time to offer grace to your friends, to your neighbors, your coworkers, uh, to offer friends or grace to other people too, just to know that we're all trying our best to love God, to love people, and to make the right decisions based on the information that we have uh, right now. All right, let's keep moving. Number two, verse 26. 
Was it not necessary, this is Jesus still speaking to them, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter his glory? So again, uh, Jesus is clarifying with these disciples uh, what their response might be. And, and I find it interesting uh, the, what he holds in tension here. Uh, Jesus makes it very, it's very important for him to, uh, to hold both his suffering and his glory in the same question. And, and one thing I think we'll learn from that, or I hope we learn from that, what I'm learning from that, is, is the second thing. Which is that in crisis, in times like this, it's important to name uh, both the suffering and uh, the hope. But Jesus names his suffering and his glory. Both were part of his story. Both were part of his journey. It is both crucifixion, Good Friday, and resurrection, Easter. And I think for many of us, we're tempted to live in one or the other. Uh, we're tempted to either live in a place where uh, this is all doom and gloom. It is all suffering and grief. It is all loss. Uh, it is all brokenness. It is all the things that are wrong and, um, and challenging of these times uh, with no hope with no good, with no paying attention to what's good there, or uh, we leave, live completely in the hope and the good and what's, uh, what's happening and what's to come, and we lose sight of the suffering that's right in front of us. And part of what I would challenge us again, too, is to, uh, to do both, to pay attention to both the suffering and the hope, to ask about even the decisions that we make and the behaviors that we uh, inhabit in both places. And I would encourage us to ask questions like, you know, what does our current situation, what is the suffering that we're seeing, how does that influence our decisions and behaviors? And how does the hope that we have for a new day influence our decisions and behaviors? And what I mean is this. You know, we might choose a social distance now uh, so that we can gather together in the future. Uh, we might choose to sacrifice time with family now uh, so that we might preserve the health of those that we love uh, so that we might gather as family again uh, in the future. We might postpone celebrations or milestones or other things in our lives so that we and others might have uh, celebrations and milestones in the future. Uh, we might go to work, especially our healthcare workers, to care for the, the sick and the vulnerable uh, so that the sick and vulnerable people uh, might have a hope uh, for a future. And this is what we balance. We balance suffering and glory. We also ba balance sacrifice and hope. And again, I would encourage us to pay attention to both as we live uh, in these spaces. Hold on uh, to both of those things. The last thing is this. In verse 28 through 31. As they came near the village to which they were going, uh, Jesus walked ahead as if he were going on. But the disciples urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, a blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. The last thing I hope we'll notice in this passage is two things. Uh, first, there were two disciples walking down that road that day. They were processing with someone else uh, their reaction to this, the crisis they were in, to the emotions and the, the spectrum of emotions they were experiencing. And as Jesus responded to them, he came close to them. He broke bread with them. He sat with them and ate with them. It was in community that they found new hope and new life. And so the third thing that I would say as we um, live into this time together is it's so important uh, for us to find ways to stay connected in community uh, during these times of being apart. 
I'm going to share a quick interview that I did earlier this week on Zoom uh, with Larry Jordan, as Larry describes how he and his prayer group of men are still finding community uh, ways to process what's going on and pray for each other in these times. Uh, let's watch. All right, so let's. So you talked about this men's group. Uh, how did you gather before COVID nineteen? We uh, we met every uh, Tuesday morning at uh, IHOP at seven o'clock for prayer, for breakfast and prayer group. Uh, our, our our intention we do a lot of praying at it, but also we have some type of devotion and we do, do some life, good discussion on the devotion and uh, on scripture. So we. We stay in that in the, in the scripture right much also, but uh, we spend a lot of time in prayer and, and praying for our uh, praying for those that are on our prayer list. We have a prayer list every every week, and we have it. We do that each week. That's great. How do you uh, how do you gather now? I mean, you can't gather in re- you know IHOP anymore. So how do you gather now? On Zoom. We're <laughs> <laughs> uh, doing Zoom every Tuesday morning at at nine o'clock, and. Uh, Bob Wolf is our chairman now, and he, he arranges things. And thanks to John Davis, John's our IT person. He set it up for us. But, uh, but we have, we've been, you know, this morning we had Zoom, and we had 14 people on it, 14 men. And we're glad to have Dave Graybill join us. He, he was a member of our original group and then moved away, and he joined us this morning. That's great. So, so why is this gathering so important for you and for all the men who attend uh, so that you keep doing it? Well, I think it just keeps us in uh, in in prayer and how important prayer is and uh, and how important it is to study the scriptures. And also, uh, you know, we lift each other up. We're all concerned about each other too. If somebody's having a problem, you know, we we try to help them out. And uh, we had a member of our group not too long ago. Had been our group for about a year or so. Who passed away, and uh, his funeral was at St. Mary Magdalene Church. And uh, a big group of our a big part of our group went to his funeral, went to his service on uh, that Saturday morning, and so we uh, we we just try to lift each other up and be a, be a big part of of each other. Yeah, thank you, Larry. That that's so important, especially especially now. Um, I'd be curious, how have your conversations changed? I didn't ask you the question before, but how have your conversations changed now that that COVID's been going on? Well, the only the main difference is our conversation has been about the same uh, uh, on our own Zoom. Uh, it's been about the same. Uh, the main difference is uh, in our closing prayer each time we'd get, we'd stand up and hold hands around the table and have a prayer. And then, then we'd close with the Lord's prayer. Of course, now there's no touching or anything like that, but uh, we do still have our closing prayer and close with the Lord's prayer each time. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you, Larry, for taking the time to do this and for interviewing over Zoom. Thank you. All right. Let's, uh, let's pause right there and let's go back to that first question. Let's just do a short, short version of the first question. Um, so just give me the, the history of how long you all have been meeting and the number of guys that have been involved over the years. Okay. 20 years ago, uh, a group of, group of us men from the church went to Promise Keepers. We came back and we didn't want to let the fire that was in us in uh, Dwindle. So we came back and we started this prayer breakfast. I think we started with close to 40 people in it, 40 men in it, most of them from the Methodist church. But uh, it's dwindled down over the years. People, some formed their own groups, which uh, I think that's great. We wish them well. And we, we're down to, we, we have about 18 people, men now that come to regular 
and they, uh, uh, most of them from the Apex United Methodist Church. Uh, I think of our original group, Roger Moore and I, the only two that are probably still, still there that were in the original original group. But uh, but we have we have a good group, and uh, and I'm just I'm just proud to be a part of this part of this group. That's awesome. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we experience these times uh, together, we ask that you would give us strength for today, hope for tomorrow, and companions with whom we can walk this road uh, together. Uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit and prepare us to be the people you call us to be this day and always. In Christ's holy name, amen.